Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I'm going to continue to announce another guest that's going to be at Retro World Expo the last week of August in Hartford, Connecticut. And this week I'm announcing Brooklyn Video Games. This is their first time coming to Retro World Expo, so I'm really happy to have them up. Uh, Awesome crew of people. Steve, the owner, is going to be there. I believe Andy's coming up with him, and I think Jose Cruz might be on the booth as well. So you get to meet a bunch of people from the awesome Brooklyn crew that hang out down there. And of course they always have good prices and a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. Now, there's also a bunch of other amazing vendors there. I certainly don't want to take away from any of my friends that have had booths there for years before or any new people that are going to be there, but the fact that this is Brooklyn Video Games' first time there might mean that this might be your first time running into any of this crew, so I definitely wanted to announce them, and hopefully we'll be able to see as many of you as possible at this expo. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we've got going on the past week. Going to start out this week with a couple of mini reviews based on a live stream I did with Lewis from Zez Retro. I'm sure if I were an official YouTuber, these would be each individual videos that are stretched to 10 minutes long, but I don't think they needed to do that. I think I could get these done in a couple of minutes each right here, all mixed in with the other stuff. So the first thing that we tested in this live stream was a pretty inexpensive composite video PAL to NTSC converter or vice versa NTSC to PAL. And Lewis and I had the same one but mine registered at a variable up to one frame of lag. So it buffered a few frames. So depending on if you were using this for gaming purposes, depending when you hit your button, you might have zero lag or you might have up to a frame or anything in between that, which I think for use on CRTs is extremely reasonable and probably not something that I would ever personally notice, nor would probably most competitive gamers because you're mostly, it's going to be random, but you could probably land right in the middle of that and not really feel any latency. However, the one Lewis tested had like five or six frames of lag, which is terrible for, for gaming. So if you were just looking for a way to play PAL VHS tapes in, through a PAL player on an NTSC CRT or vice versa, this thing's perfect. It's exactly what you're looking for. It's not going to be the best conversion ever, but it's inexpensive and you would definitely be okay picking it up and then decide later if you want a better way of experiencing any of this stuff. But I think you'll be fine. For gaming, however, there is definitely a question up in the air. And Lewis and I took ours apart and took pictures of them. And there's one main chip that 
is different between these two boards. The motherboard revision's the same, the writing on the motherboard's the same, which doesn't actually mean anything. It could just mean one is a clone of another, and they cloned everything, including the revision number, like what happened to Voltar a couple years ago. Still crack me up if somebody would be enough of a moron to even clone the exact revision number. But other than that, there's just one chip difference. So if you have one of these and you have a time sleuth, or if you plan on picking one up, just check out the chip that you see here, HD165B versus SC1979. Uh, apparently, the one that Lewis had with more lag started with SC, Sam Charlie, and we don't know if that's what caused the lag. Is it a difference in chip? Um, the chip pinout looks to be identical because the ground bridges are the same on both of them. So is it that it's the same chip with a different firmware? Or is it really the same chip and there's another factor that we didn't find? Smarter people than us, no offense, Lewis, were in the chat helping us out with this. Uh, and nobody really came to any conclusion. So all I'm going to say about this is if you're looking to convert composite video between PAL and NTSC and lag doesn't matter... This is totally fine. If lag does matter, buy it from a source that you could return it. Uh, measure it if you can. And please, if you do have the ability to measure it, pop it open and see what chip it is. And tweet at us, let us know, and post in the comments, whatever way you can get a hold of us. And I could update this post for more info. Uh, also, a quick aside, the easiest way to test this for lag is TimeSleuth into an HDMI to component video converter, and then just use green. Uh, instead of composite video, and that's it. It's pretty easy. Any of the cheap DACs I list are zero lag added, so the only latency that you'll get is through this. And yes, of course, Lewis and I both double-checked our test equipment live on this stream to prove that both of our results were accurate to the, the zero reading that we got when going direct into a CRT. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, who has been helping us get parts made even in the midst of a global part shortage. So I've been meaning to go back and do a couple more step-by-step -step instructional videos on how to order complete projects, but the parts aren't always in stock, which is obviously not anybody's fault. It just kind of is what it is today. So a few people have said that these shorter how-to videos have been helpful for them. So I'm going to keep playing them, but I do have projects in mind to continue to show people how to work with JLC PCB to make one-off products, make their uh, own projects, do prototypes, whatever it is that you need PCBs or assemblies for. And as the part shortage hopefully slows down over the next year, I could do more in-depth stuff. But for today, I'd like to go back to a simple, basic skill that anybody might need to know, how to order a basic PCB from JLC PCB. So just go directly to the website, click on order now, and just hit add Gerber file. You don't really need to worry about anything else on that page yet. I know it's kind of intimidating for somebody who hasn't really done this before, but just wait for your Gerber file to load, and then you could check any of the options you want below. Now, normally any of the options you'll need will be pre-selected based on the files that you upload, but you can tweak them to your liking. And I think the most common thing people might want to tweak is what color their PCB shows up as. So I usually use just certain color codes for prototypes and others for production, but there really isn't a right or wrong thing. It's just however you want to do it. After you're done, hit save to cart and then either sign into your JLC PCB account, or if it's your first time doing it, you could create one right there. After you're logged in, just hit save to cart and then view cart in order to view whatever PCBs that you've added. 
If that's the only one that you need, then just go to Secure Checkout and begin the checkout process. After that, it'll ask you to confirm your address, which I'm obviously not going to show here, but then you get to choose your shipping method, which I always think is pretty cool. If you want very fast shipping, you can select the first option, which is a bit expensive, but you'll get your PCB really quickly. The bottom two options are great if you're on a budget and you're not in too much of a rush to get it, and the price is really impressive. Less than $6 total for a couple of PCBs and shipping. And there's a couple other options if you're interested, but I mostly just either like to use the fastest one or the slowest one, depending on I'm in a rush or not. And after that, that's pretty much it. Just submit everything through and then enter either PayPal or your credit card in order to pay for it. And you'll pretty soon get some confirmations that the PCBs are being made and then another confirmation after they ship. So that's pretty much everything you need to know to have basic PCBs made from jlcpcb.com for under $6. The next thing we tested in the stream were devices that downscale to 480i, which is different than the usual downscaling that I show because the goal most of the time is to take 480p or sometimes 720p signals and downscale them to 240p for that 80s, early 90s look that you would normally find on a CRT. And that could be used for things like modern but retro-inspired games, or even original games that were put on compilations, or even those classic mini boxes. So going to 240p is definitely the right answer for those in almost all cases, but there are a few reasons that you might want to go down to 480i. And the first is just watching old TV shows from streaming services on a CRT. Because anybody that's into older shows knows how terrible they usually scale, especially if then they're, they're in their original 480i format, 480i, 4x3. You put that on a 4K TV, mostly looks terrible. So having a downscaling box to go down to 480i on a CRT will get you very close to or exactly as good as the original, because even with modern compression, uh, it's still, you know, you still would have gotten over-the-air analog noise back in the day, so it's about a trade-off. So that completely makes sense. And if your goal is mostly TV shows, there's a very cheap box on Amazon that I link to here that can go from HDMI to either composite or S-video. The one that goes to composite's cheaper, the one that goes to both is a little more expensive. But there's no controls on that, only PAL or NTSC output. So you're either going to have to have a streaming box that could output 4x3, or you're going to have to figure out a way to take your TV and stretch the image or, or manipulate it somehow, because a lot of those services present 4x3 images in a 16x9 frame. So it'll, be, it'll look weird on your TV. Um, those are very laggy because they're designed for TV signals, so I would not recommend that for any kind of gaming. However, the device that Lewis and I tested, the Xtron VSC 500, and I believe the VSC 700 is equal to or better than, was very reasonable. It was the same same thing as those uh, the PAL to NTSC converter that I tested, that it was about variable one, la one frame of lag. So same thing, it buffers a few lines of code. Uh, in most cases, it was downscaling under a frame and did a really good job of it. But there was also a ton of controls too. So... There's going to be a little more work to get that Xtron box working, but if you're really into downscaling to 480i, that's going to be something that's probably worth hunting down. Now, 
Why would you want a game in 480i? Well, if you have a more modern game that you just don't want the motion blur of, you know, a, a standard cheap monitor and you have a beautiful CRT laying around, why not give that a try? And 480i would allow for a lot more detail on the screen for things like your heads up display and all that other stuff. But this Xtron, I think, has also some advantages for TV. So first of all, you're going to need some kind of HDMI to VGA converter. Because uh, that's the only signal that it seemed to accept was RGB HV, you know, full, uh, like a full VGA style signal or above. And in order to get that, you're also probably going to run into compatibility issues with streaming boxes. So I strongly recommend picking up one of those HDMI splitters that I talked about a bunch of times. And in fact, if you want something like you want the image on your 4K TV and also through this, you can get one of those downscaling splitters that I found. All of this is linked right in the description, of course. But you first got to get an HDMI device to make sure that it's compatible. Then any cheap DAC going from HDMI to VGA will do it. And then this will output S-Video, Composite, or RGB, or I guess Syncon Green, RGB HV, whatever else you want to do. But it's worth the extra effort because not only is the lag a lot less, you could just go into the menu, press auto and it auto centers everything. And then if it auto centers it and it's all stretched weird, cause it's something like a four by three image in a 16 by nine frame, you just use the centering controls to stretch it. I might suggest putting 16 by nine native content on that TV first, just to kind of measure off where exactly the, it should stretch to use my cardboard bezel idea. Like I did in the game gear video, uh, but then just kind of stretch it to the same spot and that's it. And, oh, but what if the next content I play isn't stretched that way? No problem. Hit the auto button again and it goes right back to where it should be. So the advantages and the different output options of this definitely far outweigh the cheap box. But now you have to hunt down used ones on eBay, used equipment. There's always a chance there's something wrong with it. So it really is a trade-off. If you're just going to do something like I want to watch old TV shows on my CRT, you're probably better off just picking up the cheap one, at least at first, and seeing what you could do with it. Maybe you could set your streaming box to 4x3 or whatever else. But if you know you're in it for gaming and you know, or you're just a hardcore nerd like me that really likes stuff like this for use with CRTs, hunting down one of these Xtron boxes is probably worth your while. Yeah, I know you need three pieces now, the Xtron, the, split, uh, the splitter, and the converter, but that's why I refer to so many of these components as tools in your toolbox. That downscaling splitter that you used to do that one stream you did because you needed to have 4K on your TV and 1080p for your capture card, that might just be sitting in a box somewhere and this might be the perfect other use for it. So it's really up to you to decide if this stuff is worth it at all to you, but I think it's kind of awesome. And a bunch of people in the chat during the stream did as well. So hopefully I could do a bunch more streams like this. I have a whole lot of other stuff that I wouldn't want to spend a whole week doing a video on, but spending a day doing a live stream and then a write-up and then talking about it here, I think is really cool. So please let me know what you think. Do you like it when I do things like this? Do you absolutely hate it when I do mini reviews in the weekly roundup? I just want to do whatever you all want to do. And if you tell me to separate it, cool. Uh, but I, most of the time in the past, people say, no, just leave it here. I don't want to hunt down four different videos for something that I may or may not like when it's all right here. And I could just listen while I'm jogging or in my car or something. So please let me know. But thanks to Lewis for doing that with me. And hopefully we're going to do a bunch more. 
Consoles for You is now selling a kit that allows you to test your controllers. And while this is really aimed more towards game stores, I wanted to talk about it here, not just for the people here that work at or own game stores, but also in case there's some other scenarios that this might apply to you. So basically, there is a base unit that has a mini OLED screen and power and a connector on the bottom. So you would need to purchase that. And then afterwards, you would just need to purchase one of up to 20 different controller adapters, plug that in, and then connect your controller to it. From that point, you just press all the buttons on the controller. You can test the analog sticks for controllers that have those, and you'll be able to test right away to see if they work or not, or if there's any issues or any weirdness like that. So I definitely think this is not the type of tool that your average retro gamer would have, but I could imagine if you're at a game store and you're getting trade-ins all day long, plugging this in, pressing a bunch of buttons and being done might be infinitely easier than opening up a console, plugging everything in, hooking it up to a monitor, finding a screen to test all the buttons on. I think this would be a huge time saver and I would probably recommend buying the whole kit because I believe it's around 400 for everything. But on the flip side, if you're somebody that makes controller adapters or something like that, you might want to just pick up the base module and whichever of the sub-modules that you need, so that way as you're doing your testing, if you need any quick reference, you'd be able to have this as well. Overall, though, I can't really think of too many other scenarios that you would use it. Uh, I always talk, just like I mentioned a second ago, about tools in your toolbox, and a lot of those cheap $20 adapters are things that I honestly think most retro nerds would really be able to use with the HDMI stuff, even modern nerds as well. So uh, this, I don't know, would fall into that category, but I definitely wanted to talk about it just in case it's something you might be interested in. But if you own a game store, whether it's online or just a, a brick and mortar store, I think that this might be a giant help to you. So I would just really calculate how much you have coming through the door and whether around 400 bucks for a full kit is, is worth it. But I, I definitely wanted to make it known. I think it's an awesome product. So any other questions, please check out Ronnie's post here. All of the links and to everything that you need are right in it. Datadiscs has just released the Sonic Spinball soundtrack on vinyl, as well as re-released the Sonic Mania and OutRun soundtracks. So if you are looking for vinyl versions of these soundtracks, now is definitely the time to get them because they do sell out fairly quickly. They went on sale on Saturday. I actually pulled over on the side of the road to make sure I got my order in. And strangely enough, the limited edition of Sonic Spinball that I was picking up for a friend of mine was sold out within the first minute or two. And I guess they found that there were scalpers using bots to pick them up and they canceled all the orders. And it was actually kind of funny. They were posting how all of this was going down on Twitter. And the person who used a bot to buy a bunch of these things to scalp them was all upset that their order got canceled. Well, good. Screw you. But, you know, there's a difference between picking up one or two for a friend like I usually do um, and just going out and, and basically stealing from under people's feet and then trying to resell back to them at a markup. I do realize there's some people and some scenarios in which there's not much not much choice. It's really the only way to, to do stuff. I, I get it, but I don't have to like it. So I'm not going to like it. Anyway, uh, Sonic Spinball 
when this was first announced, a bunch of people were like, is that a thing? Do people even care about that game? So I listened to the OST that somebody ripped on YouTube, and there's a bunch of really cool songs on there. So I totally understand why somebody wanted to make a vinyl version of it, and I think it's pretty awesome. And of course, the Sonic Mania soundtrack's great, and OutRun is one of my favorite video game soundtracks, and I'm very, very happy I was able to pick it up. I really, really hope that Data Discs eventually re-releases Afterburner and the, uh, you know, the 3D cover Space Harrier version because I would really want both of those. And if anybody has that 3D cover version or, or either, I guess, for sale for a reasonable price, I'll pick it up from you. But I don't want to pay awful scalper prices. There's a difference between here's what things go for now, so you're not going to pay what it was originally released, and I'll give it to you for $500. Yeah, no, never. I don't fall for that stuff. So uh, if you're still interested, they are still available. The limited editions are all gone, but there are still the basic editions for each. By the time this goes out, there should still be at least a few left. So if you're a fan of vinyl... Definitely check this one out and uh, also go back and check out the OutRun and uh, Sonic Mania that are available as well. Last week I posted a video that talks about the Master System and the Game Gear. And I really enjoyed this video because this is one of those things where I get to share some fun facts with people as well as take a trip down memory lane when it came, with, uh, when it came to the TV tuner testing at least. But basically here's the gist of it. The Game Gear is essentially a portable master system with a couple of differences. And one of those differences, I think, in my opinion, prevented it from really becoming something that is truly backward compatible with the master system. So you could have always played master system games on the Game Gear through the Master Gear Converter. There's a very awesome homebrew version now. I'd link to that, of course, for anybody that wants to purchase it. But you can't just plug a Game Gear game into a Master System. Now, the developer Apocalypse, who also works with Darksoft on a bunch of those cool multis, has designed a device that will let you do that, but it doesn't always work exactly the way that you would want it to. Um, there's also a couple of cool little tidbits and info in there that I think is pretty interesting. So basically, if you're a fan of the Master System or Game Gear, or you're just curious about this stuff, definitely give it a watch. It was also awesome playing with a TV tuner for the first time, even though you can't get analog over the air signals anymore, but still, it was really fun to just kind of check all this stuff out and have another look at it all. Also, the uh, clickbait thumbnail is still up there. I'll switch it to the, the real one in a little bit, but unfortunately, you know, you got to get noticed any way you can. So the clickbait stuff, I'm always going to have two thumbnails made for the uh, the higher production videos. Something clickbaity just to get it kicked up in the algorithm, and then I'll switch back to what I actually would have wanted for a thumbnail. You know, I know people sometimes get annoyed by that, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. If you've ever used a PlayStation Vita or PlayStation TV that's been jailbroken, you've probably used an SD to Vita adapter that lets you use a micro SD card rather than the expensive proprietary Sony stuff that they wanted you to use. And someone on Twitter has just written up a brief history of the adapter that really goes through and shows how it started and some of the fun and interesting revisions. So... This was one of those things that I just thought would be really neat for people who would use these to know where they came from, or I guess if you're just like me and you're a nerd interested in this stuff. But Lewis found the story, and I thought it would be a fun thing to share, so we wanted to post it and talk about it here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The team at Flashmaster.com has recently posted a guide showing what is a real and fake Neo Geo Pocket Color Flashmaster. Unfortunately, they got cloned, and they wanted to put this out there for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, when you buy clones you're almost always going to get a giant piece of crap. There's a reason that these companies don't put effort into quality and manufacturing of these things. So it's very important that maybe you completely, honestly, just you're buying something off of eBay. It looks used. It doesn't look like it's a clone. It looks like somebody purchased it correctly. They're done using it and now they're selling it to the next. That's a perfectly plausible and totally legit scenario. So you want to make sure that you're buying a real one and not a clone. And also, even if you have zero morals and values, and you don't really care if you're stealing from the pockets of a developer, you still want to seriously consider that buying a clone could possibly result in just buying junk that lasts a week, a month, whatever. So it's important this is up there. But unfortunately, I do have to take another moment just to very quickly run through the difference between what is a clone and what is not. And people are tired of hearing me saying it, People are annoyed with me, but I will never stop talking about this stuff because if I don't, nobody else will. So I need to burn this into everybody's brains. First of all, this is a product that is still in manufacturing, that is still being actively sold, that is only a few years old, and it is fairly priced. Everything about it is legit, and a company cloned it, and now they're selling the clone. And not only are they selling the clone, right on the sale page... The first item under features is this product is a clone item. So right there, they're holding their middle finger up to everybody who designs products that they then steal and try to sell. So this is a clone. This is absolutely 100% a clone. Now, with respect to the Flashmaster team, let me give you an example that did not exist, but could potentially be. What if this product was released 15 years ago, and then the Flashmaster team disappeared 10 years ago. Their website's gone, they haven't sold products in 10 years, there's no word from anybody, and a company cloned it. I don't think I would even call that a clone, to be honest, because it's not stealing from anybody. They're not stealing from developers, they're filling a hole in the market, and while it's not honest, it's not really awful either. You're not hurting anybody by doing that. That is not what happened here. This was definitely a clone and of the worst kind, but I wanted to throw that out there as an example. And as a comparison, I also wanted to say that if a new developer releases a game and I take that game and I copy it and I sell it, I am a massive piece of shit that has just done the exact horrible thing that this hardware company has done with this ROM cart. That is awful in every way. If I take that ROM that I paid for and then give it to a friend who was probably going to buy the game, but now they didn't, that's 
pretty awful, but that's not nearly as bad. That is way different. I'm not financially benefiting from that. It's still morally wrong. It's still legally wrong. I don't do it, but there are some gray areas. So what if I buy the game and I just send it to a couple of friends that I know have every ROM ever because they want to make sure that these eShops don't disappear as well as all of the history behind it. Those people probably won't even play the game, definitely won't sell it, and it will never go anywhere else. It's illegal, but it is not taking money out of anybody's pocket. It is not harming anything. And in the long run, between a handful of people, at least one copy is going to live on. So that's gray area. Now, on the flip side of things, if you take ROMs that are 30, 40 years old, and you copy them between friends, and you use them in videos to show examples of things, I strongly argue that that does nothing but promote those games. So retro game stores, both online and brick and mortar, both now might have more sales of those games because more people are aware of them. Or new compilations featuring those games might get a small bump in sales because while people might enjoy watching the content, not everybody is going to want to go out and buy an original console and mod it and get some cables and they might just want to buy the newest version and play it on their already existing setup. So it seems that a lot of people couldn't really differentiate between any of those. And I don't understand if it's just trolls that are looking to poke pins in people's butts and get get them to react, or if it really is just that phenomenon where people are kind of like babies, where they repeat the noises their parents are making, even though they don't understand what it is that's coming out of their mouth. Either way, um, the fact that this was cloned, and the cloner came right out and said this product is a clone item, was enraging, and people's reaction to me making everybody aware of this was even more enraging because people should know better. So I just wanted to try as calmly and as politely as possible to just make sure what is very clearly stealing, what is definitely not stealing, and what's the little gray area in the middle. And I'm always up for a good debate about these things, but this was cloning. This was stealing. There is no debate to be had about this. So when you hear people say trolly things like this is no different than downloading a copy of Sonic the Hedgehog for Genesis that I bought 15 times in my life already, just make sure that you know the conversations that you're getting yourself into because most likely that person is just desperate for attention. But unfortunately, I have seen some of that baby mimic stuff go on where I don't think people actually understand the differences. So maybe point them to this video. Um, If they're annoying, maybe tell them I'm talking about them and let me take the blame for it. And uh, let's hopefully try to just one step at a time push back against cloning because we're never going to stop it, but we could absolutely change things about it and making people aware, politely making people aware, which is sometimes hard for me, I'll admit, is the best way to go about doing this and making sure to explain why you don't want to buy clones. Because not only are you buying that junk that probably won't even work right, but on top of that, all of the people that make things are going to reconsider making things if all their stuff gets cloned. Why would somebody spend years of their life developing a hobby project knowing that they can't even make their base investment cost back on a first run of production before it gets cloned? So please, make people aware Help me out with this one and continue to spread the word because I'm never going to stop talking about it. So you might as well jump on and help because I'm not going away. 
I recently posted an interview with Jan from Consoles for You, who happened to be in New York, so I asked Steve, the owner of Brooklyn Video Games, if he'd mind if we came in and shot an interview downstairs around the arcade machines. He was gracious enough to allow us to do that, so not only did I get to meet Jan and hang out in person for this interview, but we got to do it in a very cool place. It was a little bit echoey, there were subways going by, so I apologize if you're listening on your headphones. I tried to clean up the audio and then put it through a filter so you didn't get too many lows or too many highs or anything. Um, I didn't get any complaints on the audio, so I think people just understood, yeah, it's noisy. I think I did a decent enough job, but I still recommend giving it a listen because we talk about a ton of different things from how Jan got to start to the products he's been working on and continue working on. And of course, cloning, because he had some interesting insight onto the person that runs Bitfunks and the two other names that Bitfunk sells under. So highly recommend listening to it. Sorry that the audio is not the way it used to be or that it usually is, but doing in-person stuff is really hard because the room makes all the difference. I could have gone in there. The only thing I could have done is is buy a couple of extra. Remember the mics I used to keep right in front of my face? That's pretty much the only thing that would have made the difference. So I thought this one was good enough. But either way, it was awesome to meet Jan in person and hopefully everybody will enjoy the interview. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to kind of skim through these, and if anything piques your interest, please check out Lou's post as well as his video and subscribe to his channel. First up, Attract 17 has announced that Technos WWF Superstars is coming to the Mister, which is a fun wrestling game that featured a whole roster of wrestlers from the 80s, along with their signature moves. I was pretty young then, but I definitely remember playing NES uh, WrestleMania, I think it was called. My favorite move was doing the Bam Bam Bigelow's uh, cartwheel thing. I don't know, but I'm really excited to have another old school wrestling game available. Also, uh, Eric S5's work in progress Commodore 128 core has received a whole bunch of different updates. So if you were looking to test that, now is definitely time to give it another try. Also, developer Alina has forked the same core and is currently creating an enhanced version of it that she says were cut from the Commodore 128 due to marketing and lack of time. And this is the other type of thing I love to see on these projects. So Eric has fives, Eric's fives. I'm so sorry. I know I'm pronouncing you wrong, but what Eric's doing is trying to get an original match to that Commodore 128. And then what Aline is doing is showing what it could have been with these changes. I love both. I think both are awesome. And I can't wait to see stuff like this continue to move on through all these platforms. Also, a ton of work has been done on the PCXT core. Um, a bunch of beta, beta versions have been released and there's support for the low-tech EMS 2 megabyte board. Uh, there's also an 8-bit ISA expansion card that provides 2 megs of expanded memory and a whole bunch of other little fixes to that. So definitely check it out if you're into it. Akari Warriors is currently being developed. Um, I believe this was talked about before, but the core already boots on Mr., except there's glitches. So I think it's just one of those in-progress cores. And this is one of those games, too. You know, now that I'm remembering, I think I talked about the predecessor to Akari Warriors, and now this one was just announced. So awesome that a bunch of cool old-school arcade games are available for it. 
Also, the same developer, Randmark3, you know, I'm sorry. Could you please just tell me the best way you want me to uh, refer to you as? Because, uh, you know, I reference you a lot in these Mr. Videos, and I don't think I've ever once gotten your name wrong, and I really, uh, or gotten your name right. So um, please let me know if anybody's a friend of them. Uh, but they also posted uh, a PCB bootleg version of Guerrilla War that doesn't have any of the board's original custom chips, but were replaced with TTL Logic. So if that's correct... They, um, they said it'd be good candidates to implement into FPGA, getting us closer to a Guerrilla War core, which is kind of neat. Also, there's been a bunch of updates to the PlayStation core, and there's been some more fixes in preparation for the next official release. So issues in the CD controller reset command have been fixed. GPU texture, texture cache bugs have been fixed. And video RAM readout offset was corrected, which specifically fixes the wrong colors in Dragon Ball Z's full motion videos, but probably even more so than that. Hotego's Vigilante Core is now available to the public, so all you need to do is just run Update All. So if you were a Patreon subscriber of Hotego and, and already added the things in so that you can get it, you've probably been playing this for a while. But as he always promises, all of these cores go public after a while, so if, uh, if you were not in the position to support, just run Update and you should be able to get it. And also, developer Macro has added No Man's Land to his Universal Cosmic Series core, which is all the Z80-based games included. So No Man's Land is an arcade game developed um, where you could control a tank and battle it out with other tanks, which sounds kind of cool. So if you're interested in any more of these things, please subscribe to Lou's YouTube channel and check out this post. Uh, I usually skim through and make a couple of mistakes. So if anything piqued your interest, go back and double check. And as always, thanks to Lou for doing this for us, because this does make it infinitely easier to keep track of all of the cool stuff going on in the Mr. Community. ROMHack developer Master Linkway has just publicly released their ROMHack of Prince of Persia for the Sega Genesis. Now that game was already available on the Genesis, but this ROMHack is dedicated to making the game feel a little bit more like the PC and Mac version, and they removed a bunch of controller latency, added uh, and changed a few things, and I played just a few moments of it, and it was definitely, it definitely felt a little different than the Genesis version. Uh, it was still that same Prince of Persia feel, so if you've played the game in the past, it's exactly what to expect. If you've never played the game before, it does take a while to get used to the controls. You have to time things out way in advance, but it's very cool to see this. Um, this is the same developer that also worked on the MK1 Genesis Arcade Edition hacks and the MK2 32X Ultimate Edition, which I haven't gotten working on Mr. yet, so I'm not sure if there was an issue for that, but that was something pretty exciting because that was... A pretty easy and good way to play Mortal Kombat 2 on the Mister, uh, you know, before any of the arcade cores started working on. So if you have any info on that, let me know. But um, otherwise, check out this post and links to all of other Master Linkoi stuff, because I am a very big fan of quality of life improvement ROM hacks. The one I played for uh, Link's Awakening on the Game Boy Color I think added a bunch of really awesome little tweaks. I know the uh, Link to the Past DX version, that added a bunch of awesome stuff too. And I really do think that while I appreciate all these games for their original form, very often I'll only play the enhanced versions, the community-made enhanced versions from now on because they do fix and tweak a bunch of cool stuff. So definitely keep an eye out for these things if you're interested and check out the post for links. 
Before I go, I just want to talk a little bit about the pile of stuff I still have for sale. I talked about that a few months ago, about how as I'm unpacking, I'm finding doubles of things, finding tools that I'll never need again that I really wish would go to a good home, and even stuff like this, an Anthem MRX 510 mint condition complete in box receiver that is amazing, but it's not the right fit for what I'm trying to do back here, which I'll have a video on that within a month or so. But uh, I just wanted to ask again, does anybody have any fun ideas on how to sell this stuff? Because I tried whatnot, and while the people that showed up in those streams were awesome and I had a lot of fun, didn't really work out between me and the company. So what other options are out there? What kind of fun stuff could we do? Because I also want to bundle in a bunch of giveaways, and I also, you know, bundle giveaways with sales. Like, there's a bunch of fun stuff that I want to do, and I'm just really looking for a good platform to do that on. So I guess the most ideal thing Thing for me because my biggest audience is on YouTube, or I guess the biggest audience is direct on the website, so I could just embed links to eBay, but that's not fun. I think what would be fun is to have something like a YouTube stream, but you know, you could bid in the chat or have something like an, you know, I guess, an eBay auction that only lasts a half hour or something or 10 minutes, but I'm all ears. Anybody have any ideas? Because I want to continue to have fun doing this. I loved interacting with people during those other streams, and I especially, especially loved when a fellow nerd bought some weird piece of junk for five bucks that I knew that they were going to use the same way that I used it before I was done with it. So saved something from the junk pile, fun thing to play with. I, I love that stuff. So any ideas, I'm all, I'm all ears, whatever you all got. Even if it's something like we just do a live stream and a PayPal link and we figure out what to do. I don't really know, but I, I just want to do something fun and I want to make sure to promote any services that treat people good. So Anything out there, especially anything community built, please let me know. And also, if you're an audiophile and you're looking for a mid-tier, for me, that's actually high-end. But for if you're an audiophile, that would be a mid-tier AVR, please let me know because I really want that to go to a good home because that sounds so good. It's just not the perfect fit for this. So anyway, that's it for this time. As always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to people who support in any way possible. The monthly support services are really what keep this going, but any little things like spreading the word, using affiliate links, or even going to the support page, clicking on an eBay or Amazon link and buying the same exact thing you were going to buy for the same price, but giving us a few pennies off the top would definitely be a massive help. So thank you all so much for continuing to let this happen, and I'll see you all next week.